Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're going to talk about determining our values, our core values. And this is important, especially for those of you that are graduating. Because if we don't establish core values at a young age, then... We can live without them. And then anyone that comes along and influences us to do something other than what the Word of God teaches, we become vulnerable to that way of thinking. I want us to go to the book of Psalms, and we're going to read the whole psalm, chapter 15, Psalm 15, and look at what it says. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Everybody say tabernacle. tabernacle. Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Say holy hill. He that walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He that backbites not with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honors them that fear the Lord. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. He that puts not out his money to usury, nor takes reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Say, never be moved. Okay. If you read a lot of the other Psalms, what you discover is this, that David laments all the evil that's taking place all around him. And we know he had a lot of evil coming against him in life, especially when Saul was chasing him down. He's living in caves and is trying to kill him. Well, this is not a Psalm where he's lamenting evil. This is a Psalm where he is actually expressing the characteristics and core values of someone who wants to dwell in the house of the Lord or dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of his life. And that's why he concludes it by saying that you're never going to be removed. You're going to be in that place. So what's he doing? He's defining certain things that really make up a person's core value. And what more should we ask for but then to live in the presence of of God, where God's glory is in manifestation. Now, we see this in verse 1. Let's read verse 1 once, one more time. Lord, who shall abide that's dwell in your taber tabernacle, and who shall dwell in your holy hill? He's pointing out two things. The tabernacle, remember, this is before the temple. So the tabernacle is a place where God's glorious presence was housed as they moved from place to place. Then if you remember when he got back to Jerusalem and David got the Ark of the Covenant once again and restored it and put it back to its rightful place there in Jerusalem, they celebrated, they shouted. But what does it represent? The holy hill of the Lord represents the place where the temple was going to eventually be built. But David was not permitted to do that because of certain things in his life. But anyhow, the point being is he's talking about a place where God's presence is housed, a place where God's presence is in manifestation. And shouldn't we all want that individually in our lives? I'm living in this place of the presence of God. And also I'm living in a place where God's presence is manifested in my life and through my life. So that's what he's saying. Well, who's the one that's going to live there? And he begins to define that or describe that. And in the first uh, 
from two on, verses two on, what does he do? There's a, what is called couplets. They see two things stated side by side. Look at verse two. Uh, it says this, he that walks uprightly and works righteousness. It's a couplet. Those two working together. He walks uprightly and also he works righteousness. And this is a description of someone by the name of, I think you'll know him, Noah was a preacher of righteousness and Noah walked uprightly before God. So we could say this, he walked by faith and also he worked righteousness. And so the person that's going to dwell in the place of God's presence is someone then who has this characteristic about him. We're going to walk in righteousness and by faith and we're going to work righteousness. In other words, the works of our hands, we're going to do right according to God's specifications and not man's. And then next we see the second one. This is 2B and right on through verse 3A. And speaks the truth in his heart and backs, backbiteth not with his tongue. So here is someone that speaks the truth from his heart. Remember in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, I believe verse 15, where it talks about speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. So we learn to speak the truth in love. And then also we don't backbite, you know, with our tongue. So he's talking about the, the power of the tongue. And what he's basically meaning is that we don't use false statements to, uh, let's say, destroy a person's character or malign another person and destroy that person's uh, reputation or whatever. We don't do that. He doesn't do that. So thirdly, look at the next one. Again, a couplet here. Look at verse 3b and right on. It says, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor. So what's he talking about? We don't plot out to do something, uh, let's say, to a neighbor. Doesn't necessarily have to be in your neighborhood. Just talking about a neighbor, someone else. You don't plot to do evil to somebody. You just don't do that. And he's talking about also using words that would insult that person. So he's listing certain core values and certain characteristics that really manifest in the life of a person who really wants to dwell with God and have God dwelling with him and manifesting himself in and through their lives. Look at the next two. We see here, and this is 4a, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. So in other words, when he sees someone who possibly is in wrongdoing, now remember this, he's not against the person, but against the behavior or the lifestyle. That's what he's trying to say. We love everybody, but we can't condone anything that's wrong that's against the laws of God. I think we would all say amen to that, right? Absolutely not. So we don't do that. But we highly esteem, he highly esteems the person that is walking in harmony with the will of God and carrying out righteous acts as a result of his walk with God. So another one is found in 4B. Look at this. He swears to his own hurt and changes not. He swears to his own hurt and changes not. Another characteristic or a core value, a person is stating that I'm going to honor my word, I'll swear to my hurt, and I'm not going to change. Even if it means it's going to hurt me, I'm not going to change. For example, let's just say that, um, let's just say, I don't know if they have football this season or not, I don't know, maybe, possibility of it. And you get someone that gives you two tickets to go to see a Steeler game. Well then, down the road somewhere, you find out that the Browns are playing on that day. All right. Come on, move 
All right. I, gotta, I guess I've got to watch the Steelers and I can't go to the Browns game because I swore I would go with you. I swore to my own hurt. And I'm changing not. In other words, you're sacrificing for someone else. You realize what he's saying here. So down the road, you might get a better offer, so to speak. But what do you do? You say, uh-uh, I'm swearing to my own hurt. I gave my word. I am not going to change no matter how it pains me. I am not going to change. You swear to your hurt and you change not. You know, when it comes to integrity, uh, there are certain places where we can, uh, let's say, determine our core values and uh, be influenced so that we can, you know, say this is my standard or whatever. In some cases, people say, well, look at philosophers and what do they say? Well, that means that someone who is a person of integrity is somebody who, when no one's looking, he still maintains the life that he lives. And then a businessman, that's someone that um, you could say that say he's a person that's good as far as his word is concerned. Do you remember the days when uh, you could just believe someone because you shook their hand? You did not need to have someone sign a contract. Because if you shook the hand, it meant, in actuality, there's too much to get involved in this thing. You entered into a covenant relationship with that person. Because when you used to have covenant relationships, they would cut in the palm of the hand. And blood began to flow. And they would shake hands. And when they did, it would mix their blood. And so they became blood partners. So actually, it was stronger than signing a contract in ink. That's a person of integrity. And so a businessman would say that. Have you... If you shake my hand, it means I know that you're going to honor your word. And then maybe let's just say, and I hope any lawyers with us today? Any lawyers viewing today? Um, so in this panel group, they got together and then they asked the lawyer, you know, how would you define integrity? He shut the door and locked it, pulled down all the shades, got together with the people and said, what do you want it to say? What do you want it to mean? We'll make it work. <laughs> Whatever. But you see, that's not where we get our values from. No, what God says about integrity is this. He swears to his own hurt and he doesn't change no matter what. That's a core value. You could say that's my word and I'm going to honor it. Okay, let's look at the next ones. Okay, how he... Uh, Treats others. He puts not out his money to usury, nor takes reward against the innocent. This is talking about that if you loan someone some money, you're not going to charge them interest. Uh, and then also, you're, you're going to see to it that you don't take a bribe so that you could put someone else down. You just don't do that. These are core values that he's revealing. Look at the next one. He does these things... He that does these things shall never, everybody say never, never, ever be moved. In other words, once it's established, I'm not moving from this. Why? Because what's more important is this. I have the presence of God with me. I have God manifesting himself to me and through me. Now, why am I saying this again on this day, graduation Sunday? Well, because... These core values need to start at an early age. As a matter of fact, by the time you graduate high school, these should have been defined in your life already. But we understand that a lot of people don't have that kind of upbringing. And so as a result of not having that kind of upbringing, um, they don't have those core values 
determined or defined in their lives. Now, what's a core value? A core value just means this. What do I think is important? And what's not important? What do I think that really matters and that really doesn't matter? It could be defined like this. I'm drawing a line in the sand that I will not cross over no matter what. Now, I use myself as an example. When uh, I was young, teenager, in sports, involved in high school sports and even grade school sports and all that, I made a decision that I would never smoke. I guarantee you, no matter what decision you make in this world, in this life, in your life, and you draw a line to say, I will not cross over that line, you will be tempted to cross over that line no matter who you are. I made that decision because I was involved in athletics. I ran track and all that. I just didn't want to do it. I just had no idea to do it, no plan to do it whatsoever. But I had a neighbor. My next door neighbor was really involved in all these things. And he did everything he possibly could do to convince me that smoking is a wonderful thing. Now, this is back in the 60s, you understand. It's a little bit different than we have more knowledge today about, about that about the damage it can cause to your lungs, et cetera, et cetera, heart disease and everything else. And so I said, no, I drew a line. I'm not crossing over. Nope, absolutely not. I'm not crossing over. Well, finally, he wore me down to the place to where he took me for a walk one day and pulled out his cigarettes and said, at least take one puff. I caved only to, to stop his influence and stop. I choked. And I said, you want me to do this? He said, it takes a while, but you'll get used to it. I said, why would I want to? Why would I want to do something that I can't stand that chokes me, but do it for a while till I get used to it? No. I said, no, he never bothered me again after that because he knew I drew a line in the sand. I'm not crossing over. So no matter what the subject might be, it's important as a young person and no matter how old we are, that we see to it, that we determine our core values and we draw the line and say, I will never cross over that line because I guarantee you, you'll be tempted to do so. But it's because you made a decision that you won't, that you'll have the grace of God as a child of God to see to it that you don't cross over that line. Now, everyone has values, no matter who you are. But this is the difference. Not everyone agrees what values they should have. And not everyone agrees where they should, let's say, determine their values from. How are they going to get their values what influence in their lives will be used for them to establish their core values? Well, let's talk about the difference between the world and Christ or the world and God. When it comes to the world, there's values that the world has. When it comes to God, there's values that God has. If you go back way back in the day, for example, let's take a look at the media, television and news reporting and all that. If you go back to the time, let's say, in the 1960s, or when, when did television hit on the scene? In the 60s? Was it before that? 50s, late 50s, 60s? Okay. You realize back then, television was as such, 
that if you were a married couple, you were not allowed to sleep in the same bed as a married couple. Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, you know, and they had separate beds. And as far as what was presented to the people during that particular time was wholesome. It was entertaining. The mindset was a different mindset, even in the world, because there were a lot of restrictions that were out there as to what could be presented across the airwaves. So really, there was nothing wrong at that particular time. I mean, when you had, you're watching like Mayberry RFD and things like that. And some of the shows from the 60s that escaped my mind right now, but there were a lot of them that were just wholesome, wholesome, you know, entertaining shows. Boy, have we come a long way. Matter of fact, there was a lady in 1968. She was 90 years old at that time. At the age of 90, she made a prophecy. She gave a prophecy, and that prophecy stated that this. The day is going to come when you will see things that will come across the TV. She called them stations, or she called it. Yeah, she didn't like we change our channel or whatever. She called them stations, and it's not going to be just one station. There's going to be many stations. And what you're going to see on TV is you're going to see violence, murder, robberies, and all that presented to the people through, through the means of television, through that media. And you're going to see people absolutely carrying out what they see. And it's going to be dangerous even to walk along the streets. It's going to get so bad. Now, this is 1968. And the fellow that's interviewing her, and say, he's like... She's 90 years old. She's kind of losing it. We've got paragraphs that say you can't do anything like that. That'll never be exposed on TV. Then she went on to say this. And she said, also, you're going to see before your eyes the things that couples do only who are married in their bedroom. And all the guy just flipped out and just said, no, we got paragraphs that say that is not permitted. That will never happen. 1968. I would have 2021 right now. You think her prophecy came to pass? There's some streets you can't walk down because of the violence. And as far as what you see on TV, as far as what married couples do in the privacy of their home, it's, it's everywhere. Right? It came to pass. And she said, this will be marking the last of the last days in which our Lord is going to return. Now, why am I saying this? Because when my children were young, they watched a program called Blue's Clues. Anybody here? Blues, clues. Sometimes you kind of wonder, where did they find this guy? <laughs> but anyhow, but it was very popular. And you know why it was popular? It was very entertaining. It would take these young children in their formable ages and it would give them a lot of information that will help better them when it comes to learning and education. They were known for helping them learn their colors, their numbers, uh, writing letters, uh, matching things, putting them together. And, and the list goes on and on. The wonderful, valuable lessons that they were learning as a result of Blue's Clues. And it was also determined that if you had your child watch that, they did the survey, that these kids performed well in school higher than others who didn't watch the program. Wouldn't you say that's wholesome to teach them reading? Writing, arithmetic, matching numbers, etc., etc. I got a clip to show you what they're teaching now. Watch this. For a pride parade, families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. 
This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly And they all go marching in the big parade This family has two daddies, they love each other so proudly And they all go marching in the big parade Come on, friends! These babas are non-binary, they love each other so proudly And they all go marching in the big They're so proudly and they all go marching in the big parade. Come join the fun! Ace, by and Pan, grown-ups, you see, can love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. Love is love is love, you see, and everyone should love proudly. And we'll all go marching in the big parade. <laughs> wow! Thanks, Blue! Blue's Clues. That's a far cry from one plus one is two, two plus two is four. And there are some parents that think if we don't, it's Blue's Clues. Just send your child down, let them watch, let them learn a little bit. Do you see what's happening? You see how this is now undermining the things of God and promoting things that, let's say, violate the laws of God. But once again, this is no indictment against any person. Look, we love all people, and the whole goal of Christianity is to bring them into the kingdom of God. But if we were to promote something like that, from a Christian perspective, we'd get criticized. Probably not even allow us to put it on the air. And it's a sad situation, but we see that happening right now. That's just to let people know what's going on and how your children are being basically brainwashed into thinking that a lifestyle that dishonors God is a acceptable lifestyle period so look at the the next part the sex part if you were to think about the different networks the primary networks abc nbc cbs fox all those networks okay and did a survey which was done they promote sex within a, to a couple's life as opposed to married life Eight to one. It's projected out there. Eight to one. That it's acceptable. If you. For example go back to 1997. In August the 31st. 1997. Anybody remember what happened August 31st 1997? Some of you do. Prince Diana died. Tragic car accident. But you know who else died five days later? Mother Teresa. And if you go back and look it over, you'll find out three to one, it was all about Prince Diana. And as far as Mother Teresa is concerned, very little coverage. Here's someone who won the Nobel Peace Prize and many other accolades. Someone who devoted an entire life to sacrificial living to help benefit young people around the world sacrificially. But yet, what dominated was Princess Diana. And nothing, as far as her life is concerned, and she was a very charitable person as well. I understand that. But almost the message is this. Three to one, it's more important to be popular than sacrificial. That's what's really important. So how can we say that our young children are not being taught these values 
above biblical values when it's going on. And it's undermining the things of God. So as a young person, and you're going to go off into college, and if you think it's bad now, wait until you get into college and you find out that the core values that are being presented to you are against what's in this book, God's holy written word. So it's important that you establish that I'm going to draw up some lines. I'm not crossing over those lines. No matter what you say, no matter who you are, no matter how many letters you have after your name, I have these after my name, J.C. I follow Jesus Christ. That's the one that I listen to. That's where I'm going to get my core values. That's how I'm going to live my life. That's how I'm going to develop my character. I'm going to be the person that he wants me to be and not someone else wants me to be. So the biblical view, I believe, is the view that should be presented within our homes and also within our churches and possibly even through the television media and all the other media. Um, look in Genesis chapter 1. When it comes to the proper view, the biblical view, this is God speaking. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, notice man, them. Why is he saying them if he says man? Because it's both male and female. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Now notice, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, and that's man, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now go to Genesis chapter 2 and look what it says. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Very simple biological understanding here. Two men cannot replenish the earth. Two women cannot replenish the earth. And even though many want us to dismiss from our minds the thinking of God and just make it supposedly acceptable to live that way, it goes against the knowledge of God. Nothing against the individuals. We love the individuals. But I wonder how many don't even know the laws of God, don't even know what God's Word says on the subject, and as a result is portraying it as something that is acceptable rather than something to be resisted and dealt with in such a positive and constructive way. But we have our young people being exposed to it, making them think that this is life. If they don't hear it from the pulpit, my brothers and sisters, where are they going to hear it from? They've got to hear it in the home and from the pulpit so that we can join ourselves together to promote the work and will of God in their lives. And so, young people, you are going to be exposed to some things in college like you've never seen before. And we've had many get out there and see that that's true, and some have even taken heed. Look at chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and look at the first two verses. You think God didn't know these things were going to be presented to people? Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, this is King James, 
It's, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. He doesn't stop there. And let every woman have her own husband. Did you see that? He made it very clear that a man should have a wife and a woman should have a husband. Because that's the only way that he can carry out, that they can carry out the mandate of God to replenish the earth, subdue it, and be fruitful. Well, God's addressed that in, in these verses. But look at the next when it comes to sex. This is 1 Corinthians. This is God's view. This is our establishing principles by which we live, core values that we are going to stand by and behind and not cross over. Look at what it says. Again, we don't in any way speak out against the person. We're talking about the lifestyle. We're talking about the behavior. Why? Because we love them. That's why. Not because we hate them. They call you haters. Listen to this. Don't you... Re this is a New Living Translation. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves... Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitute or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, made holy you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach. Aren't you glad that it was? And the stomach for food. Aren't you glad that it is? Anybody here that doesn't like to eat? How about the rest of you? This is true, though someday God, oh my goodness, will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord, Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. Run from it. By other sins, so clearly... So clearly affects the body as though as this does. No other sin affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And this is before he says you have one, a man has a wife a, and a woman has a, has a husband. A lot of people, even Christians, don't know those scriptures are even in the Bible. And when you try to point them out, you look down upon like as if you're saying something that you think. I don't think it. 
Matter of fact, I didn't add a thought to it. I read it. Did, did it not say that? Is it your kingdom or is it my kingdom? Whose kingdom is it? Who opens the door to his kingdom? Do we open it? Does the world open it? Or does God open it? And if he says you will not enter his kingdom as a result of these lifestyles, then guess what? I didn't say it. But we love people enough to inform them to let them know you've got a life choice to make. You've got some decisions to make. It, Paul was saying this, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then eat, drink, and be merry. Live the lifestyle you want to live because there's no consequence to it. When you die, you're dead, you don't exist anymore, and that's it. So eat, drink, be merry, and do whatever you want with your body. But then he goes on to say, but Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. And these are his rules that we are to live by. So it's important that we as individuals see to it that we establish core values at a young age so that we don't cross over and start thinking the way the world wants us to think and not thinking the way God wants us to think. Doesn't that make sense? Okay, look at the next. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4. This is uh, from the King James. Furthermore then, we beseech you, and that's not a strong, it's like I'm begging you, brethren. I am begging you with every fiber of my being and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. This isn't me, Paul saying. It's not my philosophy. It's not my theology. He said, look, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you, sh you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Who gave the commandment here? The Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. So who has the right to set the standards with, with regard to the uh, function of the physical body? God does. Why he created man. Male and female created he him. He gave them standards to live by. It was the fall of man that perverted everything that God established to be wonderful and good. And that's why we need to present to the body of Christ, to young people that's growing up, that these are the laws of God, not man. And either we're going to draw, once again, the line based on the convictions of the world, or we're going to draw the line based on the convictions of God's word. And why? Because we don't live on earth forever and there's going to be a judgment day and we're going to live eternally either in heaven a place of comfort or in hell a place of discomfort and anguishing pain where the worm died not and the fire is never quenched now is that too strong of a message or is that the right message are you still out there it's the right message isn't it because whose message is it it's not my message I know, I, I can just hear the talk when I give this next scripture. Look at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, New Living Translation. If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as a woman, as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. They must both be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. Who said that? Okay, and here's what I get when I teach this. Here's what I get. That was Old Testament. Okay. Let's go to the New.
Let's walk down the new. New path. Romans, is that in the Old or New Testament? But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became, notice, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things of God, things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women. Women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned for, with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God and abandoned them to foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Who said that? Who taught Paul what he just said? Who? Paul was Saul of Tarsus. Paul was doing everything he could to destroy Christianity. Paul was met by Jesus on the Damascus Road and Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, had a 180 turnaround in his life. You remember that story? And who's the one that taught Paul this gospel that I just read from? I'm preaching better than you're shouting. <laughs> Who taught Paul those words I just read? Jesus. One more time? Jesus. One more time? Jesus. Am I saying this? No. Who's saying this? Jesus. Does he know what he's talking about? Yes. Did he create the human body? Did he live in a human body? Yes. Does he know exactly what we're going through in this life? Because he became a man himself and suffered as we suffered on the cross, right? Yes. Okay. He said that. I didn't say that. And if you love someone, you're more concerned about their eternal fate than you are their temporal fate. Is this not true? Yes. If you really love someone, if you don't, you're not concerned where they spend their eternal living. You've heard me say this oftentimes. We're living in the land of the what? Dying. When we die, we go to the land of the what? Living. Right. So that means you'll live there forever. Not for a temporal period of time. But forever. Who wants to live in eternity in a lake of fire where the worm dies not and the fire never quits and never have an opportunity to get out? No one should want to. So by trying to tell these people, we love you. 
enough to let you know this is what God says about your lifestyle. But yet we got programs like Blue's Clues teaching the very opposite of what God says. Instilling it in their minds at a young, impressionable age so that they're brainwashed into thinking that this is acceptable. Deuteronomy chapter 30 will be our concluding statement here. There is a fundamental choice to make when it comes to values. And that's involving all of us. God views are the world's views. The choice is ours to make. It is up to us to decide. Joshua said it this way. I don't know what you're going to do, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It means we'll do it God's way. And here it is. Today, I have, this is from the New Living Translation. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give you, or your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what is essential? That we draw the line in the sand. Whether we're young people, no matter what age we are, we draw the line in the sand and we say, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm not crossing over. And you know what? Should you happen to miss the mark and cross over? There's the blood that was shed that you can confess the sin to and say, Father, I missed the mark. And I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And let me just conclude by asking some questions. How would I spend or how would you spend tomorrow if you knew it was the last day of your life? How would you spend it? What would you do? Answer the question for yourself. Because you see, that's where we really discover where the line is drawn. Well, I'm going to go party and I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. That defines the character. That's what's most important. That's what Paul said, eat, drink and be merry because that's what you really want. But if you love the Lord, you'd say, Lord, you're the one who searches our hearts and tries our reins. If you find something in me that I've got to confess, I'm here. I want to live this, live this last day by, first of all, making sure I'm, my heart is right with you. Because I know I'm in a human state like everybody else is, and we all have faults and failures and shortcomings and all that. If I've judged anybody wrongly, if I did this, if I'm unforgiving in some area of my life, if whatever, I'm bitter, whatever it might be, Lord, I want to be right with you this last day of my life to make sure I'm with you in eternal glory. Also ask yourself the questions, let's say at the end of your life. When I look back, what do I see that I accomplished, especially for the kingdom of God? You see, young people, when you get out there, you're going to get into a mess of all kind of mindsets and belief systems. You've got to draw the line now before you ever walk on that campus. Because you'll have professors trying to tell you you're wrong. You know it to be true. And if you're not strong in your faith and secure and firmly planted in your faith, rooted and grounded in it, you'll be easily persuaded because you're vulnerable. But if you say, 
You can say all that you want. You will not convince me that that's the right thing to do. I found, I got the word of God. How would someone describe my life, the life that I lived? Like a Mother Teresa, sacrificially? Or someone that just did his own thing or her own thing? Uh, what about my family? What would they say about me? What words would they use? For example, even at some, let's say someone's funeral service or writing on the tombstone. What one word would you write on that tombstone that defines who I am or describes who I am? What do you want it to be from someone? Think about it now. Because should Jesus tarry his coming, we're all exiting this world through death. Is that not true? And what really matters? What should really matter? What does God think of me? I know it, we, we want people to think highly of us. I know that. We all should want that. But don't we all know we're all human? Have we forgotten that we all have this frail body that we live in? Did Paul not say, I got to beat mine up every day, otherwise I would become a castaway? Didn't he say that? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing to pray and get before the throne of God, isn't it? How long can you stay there before you get bored? Think about it. Doesn't matter who you are. The mind shifts. I got this to do, got that to do, got all these other things. We're human. Right? We all need God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and everything else. Let's stand together before the Lord.